Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's hard to believe that it's almost three years since April 13th, 2014. That's the day that... Frazier, Glenn Miller, Jr., Cross, Douchebag, whatever you want to call him, went on a shooting spree in Overland Park and killed Dr. William Lewis Corporon, Terry Lomano, and Reet Griffin Underwood. Mindy Corporon is on the show with us today uh, to talk about the Seven Days Project, which she started after her son, Reet Underwood, and her father, William, were killed on April 13th, 2014, by the man whose name you don't even you don't even want to say. That is correct. And I, I can't say blame you. Uh, before we talk about the Seven Days Project, when I said that I would be interviewing you, when I, I talked about it on the show, people on the text line and on Twitter immediately uh, wanted to know how you were doing. They that's, just, that's when, nice. when she's on, we want to know how she's doing because, you know, that day, it's different, obviously, for everyone and certainly for you, but that day was such a, a scar on the city of Overland Park and Kansas City in general, that, and your family, I think really, the 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 pain of your family that you went through really struck a lot of people. So people want to know, how, how are you doing? How I mean, I don't even know how you begin to deal with a tragedy like that. Well, I would answer that today, that uh, this last weekend was prom, senior, junior, senior prom, and Reed should be, should be a senior. And we uh, brought in an exchange student, a foreign exchange student this year because the house was so empty. So we, we have a son, Lucas, who's living and he's a freshman in high school and he turned 15 in March. He was 12 during the shooting. Uh, but we brought in a foreign exchange student and I mention that right now because it was prom and I said to Saul, I said, you know, this is an American tradition and you, you want to go to prom. And so we made sure that he was focused on that. So we we did all those things, and I did all those steps as um, his host parent. And while we were taking pictures, as you do, before you leave them with someone else to drive them to dinner, all of a sudden, I couldn't be there anymore, and I had to leave. And uh, it was very hard. So I was very happy for Saul, and I wanted him to, to be happy and to engage and, and reach friends. I knew that all of his friends, his close friends, were going to prom, and I want them to be happy. So I left. I exited that house and I went to my church, which is Church of the Resurrection, and I go to Wesley Chapel, and I cried for about an hour. And I just sobbed and yeah. cried. And so so those days happen. A lot of people see me on the news, and they see us doing seven days. Um, but it, it sometimes it's very, very hard. And so prom happened, and then graduation's coming up. And so... The month of April will be fun and busy because of seven days, and then May will come in um, very strong, and graduation's on Mother's Day. So I thought to myself, well, at least I'll get both of them completed in one fail swoop. Right. I won't, I won't. Just get it over <laughs> no, with. I'll just get it all over with. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll go to graduation for Saul and for all the kids that we know and that we've known since Reet was in kindergarten. 
Um, but that it, it's really hard. It's very hard. It, my heart just breaks open on those days in particular. And then sometimes there are other times that it does. So, but we are surviving. I would say we're surviving and we are moving onward and we spend a lot of time focusing on Lucas and he probably would say we spend too much time focusing <laughs> on him. And that's why we got a foreign exchange student because we, we needed to be parenting, you know, another child too and, yeah. and sharing our love with someone else too. Well, it's, it's so important when something like this, and I, I have nothing to compare it to in my own personal life. I hope you don't ever. I mean, I, I've never had anybody taken from me like you have. Mm. Um, I've, I've had people very close to me die. Uh, my brother died of a brain aneurysm when I was uh, 19 and he was 23. And every year on his birthday and then on the day he died, my family gets together and, and does something because you have to do something. Mm -hmm. You have to keep yourself busy. Otherwise, you just go insane mm -hmm. with the grief. It'll, it'll crush you. So that's... I'm assuming why you started seven days. So there are a lot of different reasons why we started seven days. Uh, I'm going to, I don't know how long you want me to talk, but I'm going to. You gonna, can talk for as long as you want. Well, me I was just going to give you kind of the short version, but I found my father dead in the parking lot. I, I was there before the ambulance and before the police. And so I came upon my dad and I didn't see Reet immediately, but I came upon them. And when I speak publicly, I talk about this and it took me a full year to be able to put it into words and to feel brave enough to say this out loud to a group of people. But now it's what I talk about publicly is that I was running to my dad from the car and I knew that he was either seriously injured or, or had died, but I didn't understand how I just saw his body lying next to the truck and he was not moving or making any attempt to get up. And as I was running toward him, I was screaming, what happened, what happened? But no one was there. There were no people. I saw no one else at the time. And when I got about two feet from his body, I was physically stopped. But I wasn't stopped by a person. I was just stopped. And I wanted so badly to go to him, but I couldn't. I couldn't go any further. And I heard the words, your father's in heaven. Go find Reet. And I think that, that God talked to me. I, I believe that God talked to me and said, go find Reet. Now, what's interesting about that is that I didn't see Reet. Um, I had already assumed that he was inside. I had already assumed that some, you know, his grandfather, something serious had happened and Reet had gone inside to get help. But I didn't go around to the left. There was no car to the left. I actually went around the right and I went around the back of the truck and Reet was there. And he was in the arms of two people who had pulled him out of the truck. And, uh, so I heard God that day and God was with me that day. And it was, it's been very important for me to share with people that God did not shoot that gun. God does not want people to die. God didn't kill your brother with an aneurysm. You know, we, we have free will, we have medical problems, we have health problems, et cetera, but God does not do things to hurt us. And he was there immediately holding me and held me all that day. And I went to the vigil that night because I wanted to make sure and tell any kids that were there. I heard it was a youth vigil, so I went to a student vigil. So I went for the purpose of telling them, you know, you're going to wake up tomorrow and the sun's going to come up and we're all going to be angry that the sun came up. But I know the sun's going to come up and I know that life is going to go on and this is going to suck. And at the time when I said that, I had absolutely no idea how bad it was going to be. Yeah. It's... Uh where do you find any kind of a comfort in after something like this? Just for anybody who 
is maybe dealing with a similar, though there are very few similar tragedies, but anybody who's grieving, uh, who is about to lose somebody or has just lost somebody, is there any advice you can give to somebody who is going through this process or just starting it? Well, Jonathan, what helped me immediately is I pushed myself into grief and I didn't know that that's what I was doing until a pastor had dinner or lunch with me and he said, I see that you were pushing yourself into grief. So he gave it a language. He gave it a definition. I didn't know to call it that. I, we got cards out the wazoo. We got thousands and thousands of cards, which was great. And I forced myself every morning to read 14 cards. Reet was 14 years old. And I read 14 cards every morning. And I sobbed every morning. And I remember my husband, Lynn, saying to someone on the phone, well, that's Mindy crying. She makes herself read these cards every day. <laughs> and, and I would laugh through it, too. But there, there were cards from people all over, but the cards that were so precious to me and still are, and I saved every single card, are the cards from parents telling me how Reet had touched their child and that, they, that their child came home and told them a story or that story, and they, then they shared that story with me. So I pushed myself into grief. I went to the school. I emptied the locker. I went with Lynn, and I emptied the locker. I went to the school for the drama event. I went to the school for the choir event, and I cried through the entire thing. I looked like a shambles at the end of it. And, and they, all the kids came out his age, the freshman at the time came out crying too. And they all hugged me. And, you know, I, I write letters to parents who lose children in any fashion. I've been writing letters to them since Reet was killed. And I let them know that they need to cry. You, your heart gets so full of pain that you have to let it out. You can't, you can't try to keep that in. It's, it's not it's healthy. too much and nobody's that strong. It is not healthy. And so I quit wearing eye makeup three years ago <laughs> and I don't wear eye makeup ever. Sometimes I put blush on my, on my eyelids, but I don't wear eye makeup because I don't know when that song's going to come on. Right. I don't know when someone's going to make a comment. I, I don't know when it's going to touch my heart that I need to cry and I let myself cry. Um, a similar situation uh, as far as, you know, a, 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 hatred sparked shooting happened just recently and in fact you were you called into the show spontaneously i had no idea you were going to call in and i was very happy that you did um when adam purinton killed srinivas kuchibotla and wounded alak Madasani and ilan ian grillo mm-hmm. in olathe uh, at the beginning of last month and you wrote a special editorial in the casey star about going to the vigil where you said uh, there were not enough white faces in the crowd this was the thought that crossed my mind when I joined the large crowd at the Ball Conference Center in Olathe for the walk to honor the victims of the deadly shooting in a family restaurant in Olathe. There was a large crowd of brown faces and a smattering of white. What did you mean by that? We are such a diverse, broad community. And we, what I meant, and I think, hope people heard it correctly, is that we have to support one another. We're human first. Yeah. We are human first. And anyone who has a child or a niece or a nephew or someone that they consider, someone that they love dearly, a spouse, you know, if you've got someone that you love, you don't want them dead. So you have to support other people when that happens to them. And, And with seven days, we are trying to make a ripple of kindness and a ripple of understanding because hate and evil and and death by that by any kind of violence in that fashion that is a horrible ripple and it ripples it touches too much of the community and i I agree with you on your sentiments that there were not enough 
white faces in that crowd. And when we talked about it that day, there were far too few people who were willing to say this is an embarrassment to me as a member of this community or it's it shocks me and horrifies me. Um, there were far too many people. Like, ah, it's just a, it's a isolated incident. It's someone else. And your call really tied all that together because obviously it's not. It's not an isolated incident where we can point to two incidences within the last couple of years or few or several years in this area where somebody took a gun and decided because of all the hate in their heart to start killing innocent people. Right, and we and it's our responsibility as humans, as as citizens, as people, just to redirect hate when we see it. And that's, I think, what I ended the conversation in yes. that editorial. As I said, we, you know, when we see hate, we have to be brave enough to redirect it. And and with seven days, it has been challenging to to tell people, you know, in 2015, I said, okay, I, I'm supposed to get up and tell people that I heard God talk to me. All right, they're going to think I'm crazy. And then I have to tell them that I thought I was supposed to be Jewish, even though I'm Christian. <laughs> and I stayed Christian, but for a while I thought I was supposed to be Jewish. And then I got called to be at a mosque and to speak at a vigil of a Muslim boy that was murdered. And I wasn't just asked to be at the mosque. I was asked to speak. I didn't know anything about Islam. Right. I knew nothing other than what most people know is what we hear on the TV about ISIS. So I went to that vigil. And after that, I feel God say to me, I need you to call my people together, bring my people together. And that's what seven days is about. We'll talk more about seven days with Mindy Corporon on the Jonathan Weir show coming up. It's the Jonathan Weir show here on KMBZ. Mindy Corporon is on the show to talk about the seven days, uh, make a ripple project that you have started after the, um, murder of your son, Reed Underwood, and, and your father, William Corporon. Uh, it's something you do every year uh, in on the, the anniversary of their death. Sort of on the anniversary. Oh, your mic's not on. Hold on a second. Hello. Around the anniversary. I Around the anniversary. Yes. It's in, yes, I said sort of on the anniversary. It's in April because that's when the shooting happened. But because it's an interfaith event, we do not plan it over Easter or over Passover. We, we watch the religious holidays and so that's why the week moves around so people were wondering why the week moves around it's because we want to make sure that the jews and the christians and the muslims can all come and hindu etc so all the faith schedules all the faiths. Right, right we look at all the faith schedules okay so uh what is involved in the seven days so you told me I had about four minutes, and that is not enough time to tell everyone all the activities. Welcome to my world. There I are, never get everything in. There are too many activities. What I would ask people to do is go to our website at G-I-V-E-S-E-V-E-N-D-A-Y-S.org. So if you don't know, I just spelled give seven days without the number. It's just spelled out S-E-V-E-N. And actually this Friday, we are having a special event, and it's a, a seven days art show, first Friday. So we're going to do a, a um, it's not really a fundraiser, it's an awareness raiser of seven days. So that starts April 7th. And then on April 17th, we, we have a Kendra Scott fundraiser. She, the Kendra Scott group is fantastic. But our activities really begin Tuesday, April 18th with love. Um, and as I mentioned during the break, I want to focus on Saturday, April 22nd, which is our go day. And um, the reason I want to focus on that is because it's uh, become much more meaningful in our family and with some close friends, the anxiety and depression that teens are feeling now. 
This, yeah, this is really cool. You're you're saying that it's a, a way to deal with depression and anxiety through improv. That is correct. Improvisation as a as a theater skill, mm-hmm. and a lot of people may know or have been to an improv theater or seen it on TV, etc. Like whose line is it anyway? Right. Okay, that that was improv. That that's improv. What we have found is that when you're in the middle of improv and you're understanding the skill and you're engaged in improv, it is difficult to be sad. And it helps you in a situation where if something triggers you to be sad or upset, it, I think it's okay to be in that sadness for a while to, to feel it. And to, and, but then when you need to get out of it, you need to get out of it. Right. You need to be able to go onward. Well, you have to, you have to roll with it. When, when you're doing improv, you have to roll with whatever emotion you're feeling instead of trying to suppress it and, and take it out. And then once you've experienced it, then you're done. Then right. you can leave it behind and go on to the next bit. Right. It's called yes and. Right. Do you feel that? Yes, and. And you keep going. And so we have a youth improvisation workshop on Saturday, April 22nd. And it's called Youth Therapeutic Improv Workshop. And the Church of the Latter-day Saints wanted to get involved as a faith. They said, hey, we want to be involved too. So they're hosting the event. It's in their location in Olathe. And then after the youth event is an adult event. So we Uh don't do a lot of specific things um, for adults. We typically focus on youth, but we really wanted to focus on adults with anxiety and depression too. And and you don't have to have anxiety or depression to come. You can come come because you (laughs) just love improv. I'm totally totally fine. I have problems, but I like improv. You can come just to be um, engaged. There are professional improvisation um, actors and, and therapists coming. It'll be a group of about five adults leading the activities. They're only room for 80 kids, and then o- there's only room for 80 adults. Mm-hmm. Um, they won't be in a mixed group. Okay. I, I, well, we were talking during the break how important humor is to dealing with grief because uh, the example I used was Patton Oswalt, who lost his wife uh, just over, no, just under a year ago. Right. Uh, she died in her sleep, and he said the best therapy for him was getting back out. He's a stand-up comedian, getting back out on stage and doing stand-up and just talking about it with an audience. And he's got a stand-up special on Netflix that's coming up pretty soon. And it's amazing uh, to people outside who haven't experienced the kind of grief that he did that he could do that. But for people who have gone through something similar, they're like, well, of course that's what you would do. Right. And he has the skill set to get on stage and do that. And I don't. Not everyone does. So you asked in that first segment other things that I have done. I would say... I like to write, so I have, I'm have i writing a book, and I have journaled and journaled and journaled. And so if someone likes to plant flowers, then they probably have a magnificent garden. I mean, go – you need to do what makes you feel good. You know, for a long time, I ate um, strawberry rhubarb pie once a week because Reet loves strawberry rhubarb pie. And then after I gained about eight pounds, I decided <laughs> I need to not eat pie every week. I drink sweet tea. I mean, do things that – remind you of your loved one and do things that help you heal. And we're hoping that improvisation is another opportunity is just another skill that people might want to use to help them get through grief and anxiety. Mindy Corporon, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, to find out more about seven days, go to give seven days. That's seven spelled out G I V E S E V E N days.org. Give seven days.org. Find out more there. So great having you on the show. Really appreciate it. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.